If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to open to John chapter 12. We're going to look there today. I understand there's an organization in Colorado. It's called Dare to be Dull. And their mission statement says this. We try to reach out to all other people out there who actually like Jell-O and washing their own cars, but have been afraid to admit it. They sound a little dull, right? Although I do enjoy a good cup of Jell-O, <laughs> but I prefer to put whipped cream on top, you know, because I'm a wild man. Okay, you can stop laughing now. For the next few weeks, I want us to look at some of the interactions that Jesus had during the final week of his life because it will help us point us towards his sacrifice. And our scripture this morning is about an incident in the life of Jesus that was anything but dull. And this morning, the story, it happens towards the end of his time here on earth. We see Mary pouring out this perfume on Jesus' feet and wiping it with her hair. It's this public display of spontaneous, extravagant emotion. And now why would she do such a thing? What, what does it mean? Well, let's look at the story. John chapter 12, starting with verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the whole house was filled with the fragrance of that perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you but you will not always have me. This incident shocked the disciples, especially Judas. The, the Gospel of John mentions that. Uh, the Gospel of John is actually unrelenting in its vilification of Judas. John identifies Judas as the treasurer of the band of disciples, which is kind of interesting, right? Because they've taken this vow of poverty. <laughs> But it says as the treasurer, it was his practice to embezzle the funds of the organization. So when Judas says, why was this not sold and the money given to the poor? John puts in parentheses, like, kind of like a stage whisper to the reader. He says he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Now all four of the Gospels include this story. And in the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, everybody is astonished at what this woman does to Jesus, at this anointing. Everybody is astonished. But only John names Judas specifically and discredits him with this scurrilous remarks about his honesty. John says Judas was a thief. But there's a case to be made he was the opposite. 
not a dishonest or a thief or a scoundrel. He was a thoroughly righteous, upright man, passionately devoted to what is today called Zionism, to restoring the Jewish homeland. See, in those days, Zionism was this underground guerrilla movement. They were trying to defeat the military of the Roman-occupied army. And Judas was most likely one of them. Probably one of those wanting to overthrow the occupation, hoping that Jesus, who was gaining reputation as the Messiah, would become the leader of this revolutionary movement. His betrayal of Jesus on the night of the Last Supper was indeed evil, but it was rationalized, I'm sure, with the logic of this revolutionary. That is, the end justifies the means. Right? That's how revolutionaries think. They all do. They're single-minded. They're true believers. They have one agenda, and everything else is a distraction. Any other alternative is a betrayal of the movement, and the only thing that matters is their cause. So of having something happen to force Jesus to show his hand, to strip off this uniform of a human being and show himself as this heavenly warrior, right? Or to prompt God to intervene in some way supernaturally. I mean, if something could be done to make those things happen, it would be a justifiable act. So Judas betrayed him to force his hand. But he was wrong. It it didn't work. Though God ironically did intervene, not to overthrow the Romans, but to forgive all those who know not what they do, including Judas, and giving us all new life. Now all this to say, let's just disregard John's whispered aids about Judas' integrity. Because Judas' question is most appropriate. Why was this perfume not sold and the money given to the poor? I mean, the estimated cost of this perfume was 300 denarii. The equivalent to about an average year's salary to someone living in Palestine in those days, 2,000 years ago. Now just imagine with me for a moment. Imagine going to the bank and taking out $40,000 today. And then going down to the mall, or wherever you would buy this, And buy a bottle of perfume for $40,000. And then bringing it and pouring it on somebody's feet. And now go tell people about it and and then see what their reaction is. (laughs) It would be ludicrous, right? You know, in the church we wrestle with this problem of priorities. In my career as a pastor, I've wrestled with this, and I've heard this same debate in church meetings in every church that I've served at. And it's not an inappropriate question. It's a typical church question. It's a moral question. As church people, we should be concerned about that. Right? You can't be a follower of Jesus Christ and spend extravagantly in the face of all the misery that goes on in this world. You can't do that and be a Christian. And so Judas' question is a good one. Why was this perfume not sold and the money given to the poor? It's a good question. But this story poses the question differently. And it asks this, is there a time when extravagance is appropriate? See, the setting is Mary and Martha's house in Bethany. Right? The story begins this way. 
Six days before the Passover, uh, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Now Lazarus is Mary and Martha's brother, and you can imagine the emotions that filled the house in those days. Right? Their brother, who was dead, <laughs> is now alive. And Jesus was the one that did that. Jesus saved Lazarus. I imagine that. He brought him back to life. So what is the appropriate response to the one person who gives you the gift of new life? Well, let me pause and ask you. What should your response be to God who has done what He has done for you in Jesus Christ? How do you respond to that? What do you do in return? So that's the background to the story. Jesus, after raising Lazarus, was invited by Mary and Martha to come over to his home for dinner. Right? It was six days before Passover. It would be on Passover, according to John, that Jesus will die. John points that out. So therefore, John implies that Jesus is the Passover lamb. Jesus is the one who dies for our sin. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He dies for all of us so that all of us can live. So if raising of Lazarus from the dead is the background, and the crucifixion of Jesus is in the foreground, it was six days before Passover. So they gave a dinner for him six days before Passover. I, I like to think of it as kind of a, 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 an appreciation dinner. Right? We, we know from the previous story in John that on another visit to Mary and Martha's house, these two sisters made a great fuss over Jesus' visit. I mean, at least Mary made Martha make a great fuss over Jesus' visit, right? I mean, Martha, you remember, was busy in the kitchen, and Mary is sitting there in the living room at the feet of Jesus, conversing with their guests. So now he's raised Lazarus from the dead, and and I bet they asked Jesus, how, how can we ever repay you? What can we ever do? How can we repay you for what you've done for our brother? And Jesus says, well, what about another one of those wonderful dinners? <laughs> and Mary said, oh, no problem. Martha would love to prepare another dinner for you. <laughs> and the night comes for the dinner. And the text says that Martha served and Lazarus was one who had those at the table with him. You're, you're looking a lot better now, Lazarus. Imagine the conversation would go. You got some color back, right? And then in the middle of the meal, Mary gets up, leaves the room, comes back, kneels at the feet of Jesus. Now in those days, they reclined at the table in the style of the Greeks. Also, when they came into the house, they would remove their sandals and servants would wash their feet because they were just dirty and dusty. And so Jesus is lying down, his feet are uncovered and bare, and Mary enters the room, moves over to Jesus, kneels, and pours this pound of perfume on his feet. And then she does it. Something equally extravagant and absolutely provocative. She lets down her hair. See, that is something that no respectable woman in that day would ever do in the presence of any man except her husband. She let down her hair. She wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. Are, are you shocked? 
Because you should be. Every single person who was there that evening was shocked. What does it mean? What is going on? Well, Jesus tells us. He says this, What she has done was done for my burial. Six days before the Passover. See, we all know what was going on, right? We know what was going to happen on the Passover. They didn't know. What she's done, she's done for my burial. See, it was tradition in those days for women to prepare the body for burial. And part of that preparation was anointing the body with perfumes, with ointments. So it was a prophetic act. It's in the tradition of the prophets who made their points dramatically by enacting some scene, by doing something that would get the attention of the people. And that's what Mary did. Mary got the attention of everybody. The anointing of Jesus, of his feet, did that. No one there was likely to miss the point. What she has done, she's done for my burial. That's the meaning of what she did. But there's more. He adds one more line, doesn't he? He says, the poor you will always have, but you will not always have me. Now, now we have to be careful here. That line, right? The poor you will always have, that's been misused and abused and misinterpreted perhaps more than anything else in Scripture. It's been used to sanctify indifference towards the plights of the poor. But nothing could be more contrary to the Spirit of Jesus. Jesus never, can, can never be accused of ignoring the poor. His instructions to us were pay attention to the poor. Right? To the rich man. He said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. If you have done it to the least of these, you've done it for me. Over and over and over again, Jesus' message is to care for the poor. No, I think what this means is that there are going to be times when the need of someone at hand is more urgent than the need someplace else. And there are those like Judas, so principled, so committed, so dedicated to loving their neighbor in general, someplace else, someplace overseas, someplace across town that... They can't see that there is a neighbor right under their nose or right under their roof that needs help. All Judas could see was all the good that could be done by selling the perfume. All Mary could see was all the love that was needed right there for that man. The poor you will always have. You will not always have me. Mary saw it all. From the time a few days earlier when Jesus raised her brother from the dead, she, she saw that. She was there. She heard the rumors that immediately started after he raised Lazarus from the dead. Right? The authorities fearing that Jesus would use this miracle as a catalyst to mount a revolution. They made preparations to have him arrested. In fact, as this party was going on in the house of Mary and Martha at Bethany, the authorities were probably meeting at the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, plotting, how can we arrest him without incident before the Passover? 
And Mary knew all of this. I mean, anyone with any sensitivity at all was aware of it. They knew that this may be the last time that they would have with him. This may truly be the Last Supper for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. See, it wasn't the Last Supper for the disciples, but it was the Last Supper for the friends of Jesus. So I'm sure during this meal, overcome with emotion and deep gratitude and love for this dear man, Mary just had to do something It was unbearable, the tension, knowing all that she knew. Nobody was doing anything, just idle table conversation. And so she gets up and gets the most expensive thing that she owns and did the most extravagant deed she has ever done. You know, one of my favorite hymns is When I Survey the Wonders Cross. And there's a line in the song that says this, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That's what was going on here on that night. Love so amazing, so divine. You know, there's an organization called Make-A-Wish Foundation. A wonderful organization. But I've got another name, an alternate name for this organization. It could be called the Anointing at Bethany Society. Because you see, that organization does one grand extravagant thing for a child or a youth who doesn't have long to live. They just pour out their gift extravagantly, just the way that Mary did, to tell this person, we want you to know that you are loved. We want you to know that you are important. Six days. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom was raised from the dead, and there they gave a dinner for him. Martha served. Lazarus was one at the table with him. And Mary took a pound of costly perfume, made a pure nard, and anointed his feet, and wiped them with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance. What an amazing night. See, can I ask you, as we close this morning, have you ever been extravagant for Jesus? Have you ever been extravagant for Jesus? Maybe that begins today. Maybe that means giving an extravagant gift to, to help the ministry of his church, either, either here at KV or, or maybe at camp or, or maybe to, to Ben or, or to Becca and Kurt or, or some great ministry. Maybe it just starts by giving him your life. I mean, that truly is the most extravagant gift you can give. It's yourself. Whatever it is, don't, don't delay. Come by the church this week and talk to me. Visit with me. See how you can be extravagant for God with your life this week. Would you pray with me? 
Father God, we thank you for this example of Mary. Willing to give everything for the man that gave her everything. Lord, as we prepare to celebrate Easter here in just a few weeks, help us to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. All that He gave for us. But may it serve as a challenge to each and every one of us. What can we give to You? How can we be extravagant for You? And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.